Tim, Season 4, Episode 13, Stats of Matter, the NFL catch-up, college football predictions, live, laugh, love, golf. In our cups this week, it's an Imperial Maple Porter from Portland, Maine. She sells, she sells by the seashore. Is Imperial Maple Porter. Got all the pops going on. Shout out Bissell Brothers Brewing Co. You got a whiskey from Bardstown, Kentucky? Mm-hmm. Bardstown Co. Follow us on Instagram at Stats of Matter and on Twitter at Stats Podcast, all things beer and sports. Although, we should probably start saying beer, whiskey, and sports. Mm-hmm. Fix that. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> find Stats of Matter, where we get your podcast, Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, Google, Tim. Happy New Year. Let's get into the show. Thanks, man. Uh, <clears throat> welcome back. Welcome back. It's been a little bit. Uh, we all mm-hmm. had mm-hmm. things and stuff going on. Uh, your boy had COVID again. My whole family had COVID. So we missed a week and then the holidays uh, kicked in and the rest was uh, history for the year of 2023. So. Yeah. Crazy, crazy picks before uh, before the winter break, if you will. Um, yeah. You were ahead by one in the picks, right? Mm-hmm. Then uh, your boy only got one right. You got two right. And then you, you so you had a two, two point lead at that point. And on Christmas Day, we picked the same games and all three. You lost. I did. And I got two. So we are again all tied for picks. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to this week 18 down to the wire. Mm. Let's see what happens. Um, again, you guys know it. Every year I happen to luck out and I get some brothers, angels with filthy souls. Um, I'm very very happy about it. <laughs> Shout out to guy in Carolina. Um, I'm like, look, next time, like if like if you go, like just call me, like. You know, if you're going to be in line, like I'll pay you. You know what I mean? You don't have to get it for Christmas, but if you do, I'm never going to give you a list. Okay, this is on the list forever. <laughs> like, this this is a beer I've had every year since 2014. Like I think that's it's just a shocking amount of consistency. Like people usually say that like, they've had like a Modelo every single year, or like you with a like, Goose Island. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. every year, I've been able to see the evolution of this beer. Um, so until they completely fall off, uh, I'm going to be very very excited about getting this every single year. Uh, Shout out to the Jamie, listener of the podcast. He, he got some as well. We both got the same haul. So I know he'll be listening, thinking of these things. But uh, I got their barrel age mocha chai maple porter, mm. 13.6%. Um, I chose not to go with the base variant just, just to kick off the new year because I like seeing what they do. I got the double barrel version. And I also got a rye. Um, there's like, I think there's one with bourbon and like Tahitian vanilla. And then the double barrel is rye um, and whiskey barrel. So. Clearly excited to see how those go. They will not last the year, I promise you. <laughs> so, um, you know, initial thoughts, smelling it. Damn, mm. that's that's a lot. Um, you know, I'm not really the biggest chai fan, so I'm, I'm interested to see how this goes. Uh, I love a good chai myself, so. I mean, it is fantastic. I think that the chai... <laughs> is actually in the beer itself so i think i really appreciate that but i i think for whatever reason this imperial porter style that like some breweries have done they do it really poorly because they just mm-hmm. like char the crap out of the malt and like they just try and put some sugar in it but it's very difficult to get something as balanced as that it's like you smell like this this should not work on its face you have mocha and you have chai you have something that's really fragrant and you have something that's super bitter right with the coffee grounds and then the charred malts Yet, this is very delicious. I mean, I'm going to, I don't have any frame of reference for this year's uh, variant. So I'm going to say 4 3 out the gate. Um, Ooh, okay. 
I, I put it in the fridge and I, I think that might've been a mistake. I think I might've like, especially just cause chai is like, you know, like one of those warming kind of drinks. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, like I didn't do that correctly. So I, I'm, I'm sure as it warms up, it's going to just be even more phenomenal, but, uh, damn shout out Bester brothers. Nice. Did it again. Yeah, man. Uh, chai's specifically dirty chai's are, uh, my jam every time I go to like a Starbucks or something like that. Uh, <clears throat> a dirty chai is basically a chai latte with a shot of espresso in it or two shots of espresso in it they would call it a a filthy i think they call it like some some cute name they give it i think it's like a filthy chai if you get uh i assume there was olives in it so it shows what pass. i know hard pass hard pass uh all right uh bardstown uh is one of those that is notoriously difficult to get your hands on so um, this one, it's the Bardstown Bottled and Bond. Well, so it's a little four-pack I got courtesy of, uh, was it Shields? Shields? Uh, it's a, like a package store down south that actually ships and distributes. And I saw this bad boy on there, gifted it. Uh, and this is, uh, this is phenomenal. Uh, I've been trying to get a hold of a bottle of theirs for, uh, quite a while and uh haven't had any luck so uh lucked out this comes with uh four little versions of it it's the distillate so you get to try the base uh of what they use when they are distilling it's this clear liquid in there uh i'm not going to do that for this uh program i'm opening the box that's what you're hearing uh yeah it's wild so the distillate is their base so you're, um, I'm assuming that's probably going to taste a little, maybe a little sweeter, something like corn, uh, or it'll taste like straight up moonshine, one or the other. Uh, and then it's got the bottle mm-hmm. and bond. That's, that was my guess. Yeah. The bottle and bond, the Kentucky straight, and their rye. Uh, so I'm going to go with their bottle and bond, uh, I think, to start this off here because... Uh, I think that's a good jump off. So they're big for samples. How much is in here? Fifty milliliters. That's 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 a that's a decent little uh it's a decent little pour. It's not it's not necessarily a uh uh what what do you call them? The little I always forget the little bottles you get. The nips. Oh nips. It's yeah. quite a bit bigger than an actual nip. That's a that's a, a healthy little pour. I would agree. Yeah. So uh, it's like one ounce or is it half ounce? Uh, do, do the math for me. It's 50 milliliters. 50 milliliters. Yeah. 50 hey, milliliters Siri, what's out. 50 milliliters to ounces? 1.69. Hmm. Damn. So it's, uh, it's almost, a, almost a double. Smells phenomenal. And I still got, <clears throat> I still got a little residual, uh, nonsense in the nose. Like uh, the slight leftovers of a runny nose from COVID, and or like a little something. I don't even know what it is, but <clears throat> something's in there. Uh, but this is punching its way right through there. It smells a little sweeter. Reminds me of uh, almost like a Weller Full Proof. It's only six years, so it's not going to. I don't expect it to be up there with some of the the older. Uh, some of the older whiskeys I've got kicking around, but all right, let's go check. 
Wow. That is very smooth for a young, a young whiskey. That is, huh. It's only 100 proof. It does have a little bit of punch to it, so you can definitely tell it's, uh, like, it, it would get smoother with age. It's got a little bit more bite for 100 proof than what you would normally expect. It is up there with some of the, like, foolproof bottles, like uh, Elijah Craig, foolproof. Um, but it's got a very similar profile to some of those. It's... Wow. I see why people like this as much as they do. I would like to try one of the... One of their high-end bottles. It's mostly corn, wheat, and there's like a small percentage of, of malted barley in there. So, that sweetness comes through quite a bit. I'm gonna give... I'm gonna give it a... Like a seven two. Okay. Seven two. It's, it's, it's sweet. Uh you can taste I'm guessing it's aged in probably an oak barrel. Um but yeah, it starts out a little sweeter. That that wood comes through, it's got that little bit of a bite, and then it kinda mellows out and gives you a nice little sort of like pepper finish, which uh Forgive my absolute ignorance, but uh you said that you had to distill it, which looks like jet fuel. It looks straight up clear. Yeah. And then you got this other stuff that has color into it. So like when when the distillate goes in the barrel, yeah, is the color that you get from like whiskeys and bourbons like just what it draws from the barrel, like from the yeah. Char? So a lot of times they'll take and they'll char the inside of a barrel, so mm -hmm. it darkens it up. And then when it goes, so almost all distillates, almost all base liquors are clear when they enter the barrel, right? So what we see, this is actually a good little exercise, but what we see in this little clear. This is the base of pretty much, I would assume, most of their, probably not all, but most of their uh, bourbons that they make. Now, each version has its own mash bill uh, that might differ from what this one is. It doesn't, the writing is so fine on here that I can't even tell what it's supposed to say. <laughs> what was it on the back here? Oh, there's this whole sheet in here, I can see. All right, the distillate. Yeah, so this is 60% uh, corn, 36% rye, and 4% barley, uh, which matches up uh, almost exactly to the, uh, the original. Is it the original just opened? No, the original is the one, uh, the one in the middle here. So that's what is used for their... Um, origin series there, like standard six year, and it gets proofed down to 96 proof. Um, but it is very different from the one that I just had, the bottled in bond, which is actually 68% corn, 20% wheat, and 12% malted barley. So, um, yeah, in this particular case, it's all going to come from that charred barrel. Um, the longer it sits in there, the darker it may become. It all generally ends up having that, you know, similar sort of like brown color to it. Um, here's another one that's, this is Yellowstone. This one is aged, how many years is this one? That's 18, but I don't, I don't believe it is. I think this is, uh, is it a 10 year? 10 year. Comes out a little bit yeah, darker. You can see yeah, in that one. Tell. And then this, this here's one. Here's Michter's. This one is 
Hmm. I feel like I should know these off the bat, but... Here's another one. This one's probably another one that's aged a lot more than just the six years. So Yeah, for, it's, it's sort of like SRM for beers, right? Like, with, with how much light you can kind of get through it. I, yeah. I would assume the longer it sits in a barrel, the more color in the char that it takes away from the barrel. Yep. Yep, and that's why they can sign. only that's why they can only use barrels uh, one time generally, because uh, uh, in the the bourbon making field, once it's used, it's it's done. But when they offload it to breweries and whatnot, they can use it multiple times. So sometimes it can affect the color of a stout, my dark nut, or like you know some of the other beers that they age in it. Sometimes those beers may come out darker depending on how many times the barrels they've been aged in have been used. So. Interesting. Interesting. Well, that's what's in our cups. Uh, go find him. Although, if he didn't get Angels of Filthy Souls when it came out on December 16th, he probably won't get it. So, <laughs> in memoriam for all you people trying to get it. I, mean, I would assume the secondary market is null for that thing just because it's so good and it's so rare of a release that people are going to get. It. But this Barnstown thing, I mean, Tim, we were talking about before we started recording. Like, I, I feel like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a rye guy, man, right? Right. So, I, I like rye. I like, I like malted barley. So like, I would probably, I should probably start looking into. I take, I'll take some of your recommendations for like some rye whiskeys, and you know, we'll fuck around, and I'll, uh, I'll do a, a rye. What's in my cup? Yeah, you have to. I would, I would all, I would recommend trying and like mixing it up a little bit. Get like a, like an American straight whiskey, a bourbon, and a rye. For me, I'm actually not a rye fan. It's a very, very like harsh, bold oh, I love flavor it. to it, and Just harsh bold. Yeah, Ooh but if you throw it on top of like a mediocre whiskey, um, it just it can it can be hit or miss. Folks who like rise really like rise. A lot of folks are kind of in between, and some some really don't. I don't, I hate rye bread also, so I'm all the way out there. Uh, but what do you have on your Rubens? I, I Isn't just, it rye corned yeah, beef? I just don't need a Ruben. sauerkraut. Yeah, I just don't need a Ruben. I think I maybe had oh, like I mean, two my whole life. On. So. Yeah. If I'm having if I'm having corned beef, I'm having it with like potatoes and cabbage and that's, that's boiled. A very Timothy Patrick O'Cronin of you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's get into week eighteen here. We are tied in picks, so this week actually means something. Uh, remember, we have a, a, a decent four pack or a decent bottle on the line. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Three games each. Everyone knows the rules. I'm gonna start off Bucks Panthers. Baker Mayfield, career resurgence, and then dumbfoundingly. Bad play. Career resurgence, dumbfoundedly bad play. Uh, he has a $1 million rider if the Buccaneers win the NFC South, which week 18 they still haven't done yet, uh, which is crazy mm-hmm. because the Saints and the Falcons are playing week 18, and there are some scenarios that if the Buccaneers lose this game to the Panthers that they could not be the NFC South winners because uh, everyone's still got something to play for, which is the general theme of this week in the NFL. Um, that being said, Panthers owner David Tepper Got a $300,000 fine for throwing a drink at a Jaguars fan. I encourage you to go watch the video. It is the weakest throw I've ever seen. If I'm getting fined a quarter of a million dollars, I'm not, I'm not tossing a drink at your feet. I just want to be very clear about that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, I, I saw some things and it was just like some, some articles, I think it was like pro football talk was like, you know, with COVID and everything, like he really needs to be careful about how he's putting his liquids out there. Like, is that where we are right now? Guys, like, come on. Like, it's not like a salt. You know what I mean? I understand that in Florida it is it is a salt if you throw a drink on someone, but I assume that it's because of the glass behind it. 
No, if you just toss a drink on someone, it's just super disrespectful. And when you have a majority owner of a team who's a multi-billionaire, 300K is not going to, not really going to hurt them, right? right? Um, but of course, the uh, the owners in the league, I'm sure they've done much worse. So uh, that being said, Panthers are 2-14. and 14. They ain't going to be 3-14 and 14 by the end of the season. Um, Buccaneers will do what they need to do here, get business done. Uh, Mayfield gets a million-dollar payday. Bucs should win the NFC South host a playoff game. Uh, so that'll be very interesting for playoff implications going forward because I feel like they're probably one of the worst teams in the NFC. Mm. <laughs> uh, everyone from the NFC South is pretty terrible this year. So uh, whoever they host is going to, I'm not going to say have a bye week, but I don't think they're going to have a very tough time uh, on that first playoff game on the road, unless it's like a, a West Coast team that has to go like a, at 1 a.m. I'm sorry, 1, 1 p.m. game, which is like 10 a.m. West Coast time, so hmm. that's that's my pick. Number one, I'm going Buccaneers, and I can't be talked off of it. Yeah, I see. I see your uh, your list here. Uh, some interesting choices here. <clears throat> uh, so this one's courtesy of Hot Zone Sports. I saw this earlier today. Uh, <clears throat> little tidbit about Baker Mayfield. I thought was really interesting. Are um, you going to pick the same game? No, 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 no. I'm okay. just, just right, right. piggybacking off of what you were saying. Uh, Baker Mayfield is making less salary, $4 million this season, than Mike White, Sam Darnold, Marcus Mariota, and Mitchell Trubisky. He has more passing yards at 3,907 than C.J. Stroud, uh, uh, Stroud, Jalen Hurts, and Trevor Lawrence. Wow. With 28 passing touchdowns, he has more than Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and Russell Wilson. He has a better pass rating at 95.9 than Patrick Mahomes, Matthew Stafford, and Justin Herbert. The former overall pick has single-handedly revived his career in Tampa and being for a big payday this offseason. Absolutely. Those are pretty remarkable statistics compared to some really big names and some of sort of the, the hotter quarterbacks in the league, especially Stroud and, you know, I don't want to talk about how well Hurts is doing and, and Lawrence is kind of having an up and down year, but... Uh, I mean, Stroud, Hertz, Allen, Jackson, who's arguably in the running for MVP, which I don't know if I agree with this year. Um, Mahomes, Stafford, and, and Herbert. Those are some big kid names that uh, he's currently outperforming. Uh, and it's interesting to see on a team that's providing him with some weapons what he's been able to do. So I know I haven't been the biggest Baker Mayfield fan uh, in the last you know few seasons, but um, you know, I don't, I don't wish poorly on the man. So this is, it's definitely cool to see. So <clears throat> good for him. Good for him. Um, I'm going to start with the Ravens and Steelers game. I am going to this game. Are you really? I'm going to this game. Shout out Dan. He's coming down, um, picking him up from the airport. The game got flexed to four 30 on Saturday. He yeah. flies in Saturday morning. Picking his ass up from the airport, hangover style. We're going direct to Baltimore, hanging out with the locals. That's awesome. He's a big Steelers fan, so I mean, is it? <laughs> we'll see how this goes. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just feel like the I know the Ravens have lost some pretty interesting games uh, over the last couple weeks, but I I can't help uh, but I think they're kind of hitting their stride. I mean, albeit a little bit late, they are hitting their stride. Um, and I think the Steelers are a team that can, I'm, what I'm trying not to do 
is do some some complete layups here, which this could feel like because you know talking a thirteen and three team against the nine and seven team. Um, but I think Baltimore is slowly climbing up the list in terms of teams that could be dangerous in the postseason. Um, passing yards per game, they're not great. They're very much middle of the pack. Uh, but when you have someone like Lamar Jackson, uh, passing doesn't necessarily need to be uh, at the same caliber as uh, other teams who you know, do not have the same quality of, of mobility uh, in the quarterback position. Their, their defense against the rush is also uh, somewhat suspect, but I think this game kind of matches up with that. Uh, the Steelers have been you know, pretty mediocre uh, in terms of their run game this season. I think it'll be uh, uh, a little bit of a I think it'll be more of an interesting matchup than what we would expect, uh, but I don't think the Steelers really stand a chance because they're, I think they're like 27th in the league in terms of scoring. Uh, so <clears throat> it'll be one that'll be a little interesting. Their, their uh, pass defense and rush defense are both uh, about average. This could be a good little sort of benchmark team. It depends on... These these picks are always weird too because you don't know who they're going to start and who they're going to sit once you've clinched a playoff spot. I haven't uh, I haven't looked at the full picture to see what we're looking at for seeding and see what a lot of these games rely on. Um, I don't know if much changes with a win or loss over the Steelers for uh, for Baltimore this weekend. I think there's some other things that have to go down in order for any major movement to to take place for for these two in terms of playoff seeding, but. I do think Baltimore is going to win this one. It's probably going to be a little closer than what we would like to see. Uh, I could see it being like, you know, maybe a six-point difference at the end. I haven't even looked to see what the lines are. Yet the weather is supposed to be fucking shit mm. in rain. Yeah. And, so, um, so when you're going up against a team that's... Uh, like, Baltimore is first in the league, and... Uh, Steelers are 12th in the league. So if it's going to be a ground game, the advantage goes full Steelers. If the weather holds out even a little bit and they can do something with it, uh, maybe it becomes a little bit more of a shoot-up. But I still think this is going to be uh, a game maybe separated by six points, maybe less than that. Um, I'm not expecting you know a blowout. But... Yeah, I'm not either. I'm thinking like a 21-17 kind of game, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> low of 29. Oof. High of 38. 70% chance of rain. Dope. Dan, Dan, bring your fucking galoshes. I tell you what. Okay, so you're going <laughs> Ravens there. Yeah. All right. Second game here, Rams Niners. Kyle Shanahan's already come out and said Brock is sitting this week. Immediately, immediately, he was like, "Yeah, Brock's not playing," which makes sense, right? Because in the playoffs, he got injured, and that's a big reason why the Niners felt like they should have made the Super Bowl over the Eagles, and that's that's what. Definitely what Debo Samuel thinks. So, like, what do they have to play for? They already have home field advantage. They already locked up the number one seed. I could see them losing this game and not being indicative of them not being a good team. I could see the Rams just kind of pulling one out here. Uh, the Rams have been streaking as of late. Puka Nakua, probably going to be Offensive Rookie of the Year, I think. Um, I saw a crazy stat that doesn't matter the other day that, that talked about how Matt Stafford has always, always fed the shit out of one guy. He did it for Megatron. 
He did it for Cooper Cup, and now he's doing it for Puka Nakua. I don't think that is necessarily he's like actively looking for one receiver. What I do think is happening is that Stafford just understands that like you need to have that relief valve. You need to have that guy to go to if the play breaks down or if there's something. Like it's the same way that um Brady had it with Edelman, the same way that Wilson had it with uh, Doug Baldwin, the same way that Rodgers had it with Devontae Adams. There was just that guy who was always going to be in the right place at the right time because instinctively he knows exactly where you want him to be every play. And I've given Pukunuku a lot of shit in this podcast, but I think the numbers don't lie this season that like if even if Stafford like just comes back for another year, like that alone makes them dangerous. And then having a full like Cooper Cup healthy, like this was a team that's only supposed to win six games this year. They've already far exceeded that. They're probably going to work their way into a playoff game and the Seahawks won't. But like, I got to take that L, you know what I mean? So I am not going to pick necessarily against the Rams here because I think the Niners might possibly not play some of their best players. Like, and I completely understand because like if the Niners are all in on Super Bowl, week 18 does not fucking matter. Doesn't. So I think this is, this is a layup pick for me, just sort of like how you're going with the uh, Steelers Ravens because I, I need to make this interessante, but uh, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm going Rams. All right. Uh, who am I going to go with next? I'm going to go... Um, I'm, trying I'm trying to pick games that have some, some playoff implications. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Cowboys. Uh, Cowboys, Cowboys. Commanders. Bills? Yeah. Commanders. Yeah, yes, sir. The four twenty-five game. <clears throat> because you're not picking the Commanders, though. So I don't know why you're. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because so a lot of these. This is another one where you know there is some implications on the line here that might uh, force them to start their starters, but. You know, clinching a playoff spot for some teams is good enough. Um, they have the chance to clinch the NFC East title uh, if they win um, or if they tie and Philly ties or if Philly loses. Um, so there are some implications here, whether or not clinching the, the division is important to them or whether or not they need to just focus on the, the playoff run. This is why some of these games are going to be more interesting than what our picks might lead us to believe. So if they come out and it's all backups or second stringers or like partial starters, the commanders have been a team that have been able to kind of get in and squeak out some some weird upsets here and there uh, and make games closer than what we think. The Cowboys are also a team uh, that have kind of fucked around a little bit and put themselves in some, some tough positions. Um, and some of these losses that they're in i at full strength i don't think it's a comparison i think it it's a a a lopsided win for the cowboys um but i I don't know if that's you know some of these teams come out with a little extra motivation to try to put uh a little bit of a a wrinkle into some playoff plans for some of these teams just to play spoiler just to play upset so this isn't going to come out and be like a walk in the park game for the commanders. They're actually going to come out and, and you know, they want to be the ones to spoil the off season for uh, the Cowboys or to, you know, kind of make them stumble going into the playoffs. I do think this is going to be a Cowboys win. It's probably going to be maybe a two touchdown type game, but if they come out and they don't start half of their, uh, half of their starters, 
this could actually be a game they come out and, and cough up and lose to uh, uh, a team like the Commanders, who has found the ability to compete in some of these uh, in some of these games you might have written them off in. So I'm going to go Cowboys, but uh, I think it'll be interesting to see um, what this. I mean, January eighth. Washington beat them twenty six to six. So, like last year. So we'll see. They played in they played in November and they got their ass kicked. So uh, Dallas won forty five to ten. <laughs> True, and I also just witnessed. Uh, I have had. I'm gonna have a back to back week of uh, football games here because I saw Niners Commanders with my dad, uh, Chelsea, and his uh, and his fiance, my dad's fiance, this weekend, and it was. It was close for like two seconds, and then it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people thought uh, that was going to be closer because of Purdy's performance the week before. But I think that uh, you know we didn't have a, a podcast to chat about that. But in my opinion, I think that was uh, statistically off uh, in mm-hmm. terms of. I mean, they were all listed as interceptions, but there were like two deflections for interceptions. That you know we've been making cases for reclassifying some of these because an interception is not an interception across the board um so i i figured he was gonna come back you know some of my uh some of my buddies we talk sports gambling with i was like i'd be all in this week on on purdy so interesting and he's not playing so yeah yeah <laughs> this is what it is so you're going cowboys there i'm gonna go cowboys yeah, yeah, yeah all right all right last game i'm gonna pick this week bills dolphins if the bills win this game they're in the playoffs and it could be as high as the number two seed if the bills don't win this game they're out of the playoffs the Dolphins have handed the Denver Broncos one of their worst losses of the season and promptly got their asses handed to them at the end of the season by the Baltimore Ravens uh, in almost a similar stunning fashion. This is the team du jour at the moment, which is like, oh, you only have one trick and it's speed. And when it doesn't work, everything falls down. Like there's so much riding on the Dolphins for all the haters, all the preseason predictions, all that stuff. I'm going to give the nod to the Dolphins here because I believe that they have more talent and they technically should win this game Um, because the AFC East is going to get decided in week 18. It's either going to be Buffalo or Miami, which is insane to think about. Um, But this is probably going to be one of the better games of the week because just like when the Chiefs were kind of keeping pace with the Dolphins and it was a low scoring game, like you just sort of felt like, oh, wow, like this, there's going to be some crazy stuff that's happening here. The Bills have lost a lot of games that they should have won, and they've won a lot of games that they have no business winning. So I am very interested to see. This This could go either way, and I could get burned by this, but that's okay because I think I set myself up for the first two picks. So if I go two for three this week, great. If I go three for three and, and the Dolphins are, are actually the reason why I do, I will be like over the moon so happy just because <laughs> it will represent the fact that an AFC team heard all the drama and then actually did what they needed to do so i'm seriously looking forward to this game uh i i hope that it is a great game but i i gotta give the nod to the dolphins yeah uh i set up a futures bet many moons ago uh on who would win both of the conferences and i have niners dolphins so uh i'm pulling for a long dolphins run um, all right, I'm wrapping up my picks this week with one that's probably going to be close that I'm going to feel comfortable with. I'm going to go uh, Packers-Bears because I'm not a bitch and I'm trying to keep this uh, entertaining a little bit. 
Um, Bears are seven and nine. Packers are eight and eight. Packers clinch a playoff berth with a win this weekend. Uh, there's some other scenarios that could go down that would get them in. Um, you know, if they were to tie, and you know, that's never going to happen. But uh, if Minnesota loses, um, or a tie plus a Seattle loss plus Tampa Bay loss, there's there's a bunch of scenarios that could also get them in. Um, but I think they're going to come down to, in my opinion, a, a straight win or not, because nobody's going to nobody's going to tie <laughs> in uh, in this league. Um, <clears throat> but I think this one's going to be an interesting matchup. I know the Bears are are really riding high on Justin Fields right now. I think last weekend, even though I think they clinched the was it the first pick in the uh, in the draft, the fans are still chanting, "We want Fields." Um, he's kind of found his way a little bit this season. It's been performing pretty well since he came back. Uh, but Jordan Love has as well. Um, Jordan Love and, and the Packers have been outperforming in the passing game uh, by a pretty significant margin when it comes to matchups against uh, Chicago. Um, but Chicago's got a better run game where uh, the Green ba- the Packers' run defense has kind of struggled a little bit, especially at the latter portion of the season. So um if if Fields can get the run game or if Fields can get his passing game going, or sorry, if Jordan Love can keep the passing game going and keep this uh uh keep some sustained drives, um, I think they stand a pretty solid chance, even though uh I think this is gonna be an attempt by Chicago to just run the ball straight down the throat of the Packers. Um I don't suspect they're gonna get much on the ground. From the Packers, the uh, the Bears are number one in terms of rush defense this season. So it's going to have to be uh, an air-out game. Chicago's bottom of the barrel, the 27th in the league for passing yards per game. So I think this is going to be one that uh, one team's going to stick to the ground game, the other one's going to air it out. And I think in, in, in this particular setting, it's going to be – Jordan Love and, and that receiving core that's going to run all over, I think, the Bears in this scenario. So I'm going to go Packers in this game. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a very comfortable game to watch, to be honest. I think it's going to be a lot closer than I'm going to be comfortable with, but uh, I do think it's going to be the Packers. they got a lot riding on it, and I know, yeah, you know they they've do. been under the microscope uh, or under the spotlight for the last two years, obviously in the shadow of Aaron Rodgers' departure, Jordan Love being sort of the the next coming, he showed some flashes in the pan. This is their chance to to clinch a playoff spot. I think they'll come out with a little extra motivation, but I do think it's going to be a little bit of a closer game than uh, uh, than we'd like. Even though I'm pretty sure Green Bay's won their like last five matchups. True. Here's the thing. Yeah. You and I have chosen three totally different games. Yeah. Let's assume we both go three for three. Yeah. We would be tied again. And in golf, you would need a, a playoff hole, right? At least. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so this may go into the postseason. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's. I mean, we've been, we've, we've been tied at least three points this season. So, uh, yeah, who knows what's going to happen? Uh, looking forward to it, though. And I might just, I mean, if I happen to pull one out, I might just ask you to send me a bottle of Mictors. You know, all right. <laughs> it just, it just might I'm be in. that. Just it might be the thing. Throw you for a loop. Um, did you watch college football? on new year's uh i did not watch as much as i would have liked i know i know it was uh 
little bit of a weird year for us this year with the baby and getting around and doing as much as we could uh, throughout the Has day. Has she signed so. any NIL deals yet? Uh, no, we're getting there, though. Uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm bittersweet you, week you for me. You think I'm kidding, but I'm not. <laughs> Kids are expensive. So. <laughs> yes, they are. Bittersweet week for me because uh, my daughter goes to daycare for the first time next Monday, uh, which is a little heartbroken, uh, heartbreaking for me. I've been out with her since November. Uh, I go back to uh, I go back to work shortly after that, so uh, it's a little 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 heartbreaking. It's been great little time off. Uh, it's basically just been the two of us. My wife's been working most of the time, other than the Christmas break. So having that time, especially around the holidays, you know, their first holiday, it's been uh, you know something I'll be forever grateful for. Uh, but yes, yep. kids are. Very, very expensive. I would be paying about as much as my mortgage for her daycare per month. So, sheesh. Take her to work with you. Get her to start setting up some of these calls for some of these countries that need production value. Just, you know, yeah. start an LLC, right? I've watched so many TikTok videos. Just start an LLC. Just write off everything. Write Done. off diapers and, you know, Oshkosh vehicles. And <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, we already yeah. got some of those. We, we, we got hand me downs from her, from her brother. So, yeah. We're good on the little tykes. Uh little the little red car that everybody used to have. Yeah. Oh yeah, we got one yeah. of those kicking around. So a buddy of mine, shout out Zach, uh, he and his uh and his wife, they took one of those little red Oshkosh cars and they made it a Volkswagen bus. Like they made it like an dope. emblem and they like they they spray painted it like it was it was crazy good. Absolutely crazy good. Shout out him. Um yeah, so I, I did watch Kosh football. I watched both mm -hmm. those games. Um and I, you may have a prediction. I think I have a prediction. I think I have an informed prediction. You may have some as well, watching just the clips or just hearing the, the analysis for the past couple of days. Hmm. I don't need to go too big into recapping it. I think some of the biggest takeaways that I saw from both of the games are as follows. Uh, Michigan needed a fourth and two stop of Bama drawing up one of the dumbest plays. Uh, I'm a fan of the Seahawks, and that uh, that slant pass on you know second and, and six from, from the goal line that the Seahawks threw and they gave the Patriots fucking dynasty and a, a jump start like it's a dumb play. So it was fourth and two when you're not close and yeah. you're running straight into the teeth of the defense. Like you're welcome, Michigan, that they decided to run a play that you hadn't blocked all night and you finally blocked it. I did see um, that, by the way. I did see that. I, I was just sort of like dumbfounded. I'm like, throw the fucking ball. And I was like, this, this yeah, Pete was right. Throw the, <laughs> throw the ball. But like it just, it didn't execute. It didn't work. I think everyone thought that that that, that Michigan was going to work them, and until the latter part of the fourth quarter and in overtime, I did not see it. I didn't see it at all. I didn't see the fact that um, you look at Michigan's defense and they're extremely fast. I was shocked at how quick they were getting um, to the quarterback. I was shocked that like the center was like dropping snaps like all over the place. Mm -hmm. Like the receivers didn't necessarily bail out Alabama either, and they still almost won that motherfucker. So like. Great, University of Michigan. You know what I really don't like, though? I found out that uh, Connor Stallions, this, the, the staffer who was like fired for his supposed or alleged role, uh, which got Harbaugh suspended, by the way, mm -hmm. um, for sign stealing, is just the biggest Michigan fan. And he was in the stadium watching the game because he's <laughs> a fan of Michigan. Get the fuck out of here. How is this dude allowed to buy tickets to a fucking football game? Like, no. Ban it, dude. You're like, what? 
this is this is incredible to me. Like I cannot believe like and I get it, he, he wouldn't be filming there because it's not like Alabama would have made it, but like, dude, come the fuck on. Come on, dude. I I don't know. Michigan fans are salty as hell because they feel like they've been disrespected all year. Mm-hmm. They're using that narrative that Harbaugh was suspended, the NCAA's against us. No. You misinterpreted a rule and you poorly exploited it. You got caught, like, and you almost got worked by Alabama. And a team like Laura Rutledge had this incredible post-game interview with Saban and say, I've never seen Saban like close to tears. But he said, in my best, like <laughs> Joey Molnaro voice, our players are disappointed, right? And I'm disappointed because we had this. And it's just sort of like, you did. <laughs> you did fucking have it. And you lost it on a fourth and two. You're a 12-1 team. You thumped fucking Georgia. Florida State got tumbled out of contention. You found your way into the college football playoffs. That's amazing. Your program has staying power. Like, love it. Absolutely love it. University of Washington versus Texas. There was something I saw the other day that talked about how many times UW has been underdog this year against ranked opponents and how they've won every single time. And when I found that UW was getting Texas, I was excited. And everyone's like, why? I'm like, because they worked them last year. And -hmm. it's the same team. So, like, they're not losing this game. And for the first half, when it's 21-21, I'm like, did I talk a lot of shit? And then, boom, UW does what they do. They bring it all the way back. They go in up. They take the lead. Now, the craziest thing, which I didn't realize, like I think 90% of college football first-time viewers, uh, is that the injury timeouts like stop the clock. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in the NFL, if you have a minute to go and the other team has no timeouts, like you, you win the game. You just kneel down. In college football, that shit doesn't happen. And they used that, that stop from Dylan Johnson from UW going out to just regroup. And then they, they went back-to-back 30-yard plays. And I'm like, holy shit, they might actually lose this game. And it's like 1 o'clock in the morning at this point, too, because that game started late, yeah. late. And the second half started at 11.05 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All right? So I'm like, holy shit, like they might lose this game. Beautiful fade to the end zone. Cornerback comes up, jumps, knocks it right out. Just like infamy. Love it. Um, UW wins. They, they escape, but they've been in these one-score games all year. Michael Penix Jr. was not given the Heisman hype that he needed. Look, I'm happy for the dude from LSU. He only got it, I think, because he scored more touchdowns. UW was never in outright danger of losing that game. They were in danger of like losing to themselves because they got a little cute. Towards the end of the fourth quarter, um, I'm happy for Texas. Quinn Ewers did what he needed to do, but now like they have a lot of questions next year. Like you have Arch Manning on the bench, the guys mm-hmm. drawing a ton of NIL money. He has potential. Are you really not going to compete and just see what he has next year? Because like you dub, a lot of their players are going to go to the draft. It's just going to happen. Um, like Texas has some questions, and you dub next year. Going into the, uh, I think the Big Ten, right? Like they're going to be against the University of Michigan. They're going to be playing against some of these other teams that they're seeing. Like it, it was a fitting way for the Pac-12 to, I guess, be dismantled and go out. So mm-hmm. uh, I liked, I liked what I what I saw. But um, University of Washington versus University of Michigan for the Natty Monday, January seventh. UW's going to win that bitch. Stop playing, right? You think so? When University, of, oh yeah. When University of Washington won their first, well, their last title in 1991, whatever it was, with their coach, Don Johnson, the dog father, okay? Who did they beat? 
Michigan. I love the only thing that these two teams have in common is that they don't have five-star recruiting classes and they're built to blue chip players. Kalen DeBoer, coach for University of Washington, fucking pedigree champion. Doesn't like make it to the playoffs that often, obviously, because, you know, Pac-12 has never really been a historically strong conference, but like they have the best offensive line in the nation and they just want to get the best defensive line in the nation, which Michigan does not have. And they fucking worked them, worked them for the majority of that game once they figured them out. The only thing I think that UM really has on them is speed on defense. They're terrifyingly fast. It, it reminds me of the Niners a couple of years ago when they had Eric Armstead, Solomon Thomas, mm-hmm. and Joey Bosa. Like the way that they were getting through Alabama's line, like a hot knife through butter, I was like, shit, UW's going to have their hands full. Except Michael Penix Jr. has a left handed snap release that is reminiscent of like Aaron Rodgers, not like the conspiracy freak Aaron Rodgers. Like we're talking <laughs> prime fucking Aaron Rodgers. And I love it. Um, RG3 said something on Twitter, or maybe it was uh, Manuel Acho. Um, they said, good quarterbacks can hit a door. Great quarterbacks can hit the doorknob. Michael Penix can hit the keyhole. And there were so many times in that game where Penix dropped back. He was in the pocket. There was pressure. He stepped up. And on his second step forward, he just committed. and He, he just threw a laser. And the DB doesn't even realize the ball's there. It's so stunning. And having watched the majority of UW games this year and seeing the powder puff like game that uh, UM had to like face the University of Iowa for their championship, like UW has played more ranked opponents. They played a tougher strength of schedule and they have been in more one score games. And I feel like that gives them the competitive edge. There's so much drama this week talking about Harbaugh, the NFL, the suspension. Feinbaum said this morning that like, you might be facing another suspension next season. Hmm. This team has so many distractions around it. And the University of Washington team realizes they can do something amazingly historical. But the conference that they're part of is no more. They won a Sugar Bowl, which they've never been to because they usually go to the Rose Bowl. And they could put themselves in the echelons of college football history. They are as unselfish of a football team as I think you can get. And I'm not, not saying that that UM is selfish, but I just do think that like there was nothing I really saw that UM did against Alabama offensively until the end when they had just petered out that like made me think, oh, okay. Like they needed a ton of defensive pressure. And I just feel like you can't have the best offensive line in the nation and then see what happened in this game against Alabama and just go, yeah, like we're not going to have a plan for that. Like they're going to do something. So I- I'm going to go UW here. And I think it's going to be like a, 31-28 kind of game. I think we're going to be just on our edge of our seats. We're going to be so anxious, so nervous. But like, I, I think the dogs do it, man. I really do. Uh, I actually think it's going to be Michigan. Michigan has a record 16 sacks in the last four games. and they Yeah, and they're also 1-3 in, in college football playoff appearances. And in Harbaugh, so they curb stops uh, the offensive line uh, in Alabama. So that and Blake Corman, how well he's been doing, I think – can we, that guy is Austin Eckler 2.0. Can we agree on this? Yeah. Like he, he can squat a billion pounds and like the way that he bounces to the outside is ridiculous. Like I, I'm not even going to shit on you on, on UM for that. Like why wasn't that dude playing more snaps earlier? Yeah. I think, uh, I mean the last time they matched up and was it 2021, uh, Michigan won by double digits. It was 31 to 10. So I don't know if I'm feeling the, the same distraction level 
that that you're seeing. I Different think this coach. one's. I think this one's going to be a. Uh, I think this one's going to be a Michigan win, and I think it's going to be off of consistent pressure uh, against the offense uh, for Washington. So, I got Michigan in this one. This this could be right. our this could be our tiebreaker. Just yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I think I think this could be the the tiebreaker for sure. Uh, all right, I'm good with it. You know, there's there's a UM fan that I have uh, in our office. And shout out Schefter, by the way, Shef- big U- UM fan, right? Obviously, <laughs> was that walking um, with him? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I, I I love it. You, you know, like you're if <clears throat> objectively, I'm a huge fan of UW because I volunteered on their campus at football camps. Um, I like the way the program is turned around, and I just love the fact that like no one gives the Pac-12 credit, right? And we saw this a couple. You know, a couple fucking 10 years ago now, when no one gave that team from the Pacific Northwest a chance in hell against the Denver Broncos. And look what happened, right? Like, there is always that chance to shock the world. College football is fantastic at the narrative and the David versus Goliath. So, like, I, I completely feel like that's, that's, that is in the realm of possibility. But I also said to someone in the office who's a, a UM alum, just like has the lanyard, the shirt. She's like, I mean, she probably has a brand or a tattoo. I said, look, it's very simple. Like you're going to lose Monday night, but if you don't, I will. Sh- I will buy a UM sweatshirt and I will show up to work in it, and you can ridicule me. However, <laughs> if the dogs win, like I think they're going to, you need to do the same thing. And she didn't even like you know like on teams and you like you message someone and like you see the bubbles. There were no bubbles. She said deal. <laughs> like I like I typed it. And she, like, it was almost like she was ready to go. Like she had the same thing that she was thinking in her head. So I think this is a good tiebreaker for us. Let's let's round out this episode. Let's talk about live golf. Yeah. Um, from the last time that we talked, John Rom had made the jump from PGA to live. That's already been talked to death. Yep. I, I think the comments that Rory McIlroy made today, though, about him wishing he didn't, and he said it on a podcast called uh, um, Football's Life, I think. Uh, yeah. it's, it's made up of you know a lot of European-type uh, stars, and, and he said that he wished he hadn't been as judgmental. Um, judgmental of yep. the of the live guys and i started seeing warning bells and i started talking you know texting some some golf buddies of mine they're just like nah like roy's not going anywhere like he's he's with the pga like you know they just have to accept that like this is this is the way golf is going to be golf has had one of these divisions in it before um back in the i think the late 90s um <clears throat> so like this happens a lot golf is very fractured it's always been uh, and rory is kind of one of these voices that we, we give a lot of credence to because he has the pedigree and he has the talent and he's still at the top. But for me, when John Rahm made the jump, I was like, Jesus, like live, live now has an ace in the hole. Like there has been a lot of talk about the, the negotiations between the public investment fund, the Saudis and the PGA tour. Alan Shipnuck wrote an incredible book um, called live or let die. And I encourage you to read it. And he talks just about how the PGA Tour is just trying to bluff their way out of this. The only thing that separates the PGA Tour and the Saudis is the Saudis have about a trillion dollar head start on us. And we may have about a a, a, million uh, civil rights style. Correct. uh, Absolutely. Right. Remember, like when when (laughs) Liv first started, everyone held their hat on that. Oh, you're sports washer. You're doing all this. And like. We we raked Kepka over the coals. Mm-hmm. Dustin Johnson, we raked him over the coals. Are you just not going to answer the question? Like, Phil is Phil. Like, I don't care that Phil went to another league. Yeah. When when John Rom left, I was like, 
John Rahm is the reason why I, I watch golf, right? He's the reason why I was super disappointed that, that the U.S. completely fell flat at the Ryder Cup this year. Rahm saying 54 holes of golf, shotgun start is not competitive to me. My life wouldn't change with $400 million. I was like, yes, my guy. And then he took Patrick Mahomes' money. And then you got Rory saying, like, they're going to have to rewrite the rules for Beth Page for the Ryder Cup for, like, 2025 because, like, he's going to be there. I started to feel like, holy shit, dude. We either, we're about to get another merger, and PGA is not going to be PGA of America anymore. It's going to be something else. And, like, I feel like a conglomerate tour, which is going to be really weird. But I'm just like, I, I don't know. what I, I get what Rory was saying there because I think he's trying to smooth other people from wanting to make the jump. When Tony Finau makes an announcement and says, by the way, I'm coming back. Don't stop asking me questions about live. I made my decision. I'm here. Other players are or are not doing that. And then the, the knock against live has always been these tournament styles. But then the PGA went with Tiger Golf or, or Technical Golf League, whatever it was, the TGL, where they, they, they were going to drive into virtual hitting nets and then be on a little platform that moved around and they would chip anywhere from 60 to 90 yards on something in front of like 1,500 fans. When, when I saw that shit, I was like, this is fucking live golf light. This is the PGA version. And then when Rom took his name from it, I was like, he's gone. He's like, he's gone. He's going to, he's going to live. Shipnuck on Twitter was also saying that he had heard from sources that Phil Mickelson was openly talking about it. And then Rom does his little press conference on Fox News and you're just like, what the fuck is going on in golf right now? Now, I've only been in golf for like a couple of years, Tim. Yeah, I don't necessarily have like the, <laughs> the, the history with it that you do or anything like that. But like the first time I'm like, what the fuck, John Rom? Now I'm like double what the fuck, Rory. Like to me, it seems like the tectonic plates in golf are shifting. I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about it. Yeah, I, um, I mean, I was on reading the comments, trying to get sort of a feel for what the general consensus is. And it's, you know, it's kind of split between folks praising Rory for manning up and, you know, admitting, you know, to to a fault or, or to sort of coming out a little hot out of the gate. And then a bunch of others are like, no, this is him reading the writing on the wall. He's losing some of his fans. This is a way of, like, saving himself some of these. And I, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think what he's seeing is, like, an inevitability that he can't avoid. And it becomes an either how difficult do I want to continue to make this or do I just own up and try to, you know, help make this, you know, work in some way. He, I think his exact quote was, not everybody uh, can come from the same position as him and Tiger, right? Like both of them are some of the biggest money makers in the PGA. Not everybody is in the PGA. He went on to explain that, you know, a lot of people come in with the dream of like, and, and a lot of it's your perspective. Like, everybody wants to make a living playing something they love doing. Uh, most people come in, you know, with the idea they want to win championships and majors and trophies and, and all that stuff. Um, but not everybody uh, has that same philosophy. Some want to come in and, and make money. And some of the money that's getting thrown around with these live conversions are, you know, life-changing, yeah. family-changing they're more money than some of these folks have made their entire careers in the PGA. So I think you might just be realizing that not everybody's in a position to be making, you know, a billion dollars in the PGA. There's only a few guys who are currently in those settings. So to sit from that pedestal and, and judge the folks who aren't 
making that kind of money, uh, it's kind of unfair to hold them to the same level of accountability as some of the bigger voices in golf. Um, I'm still not, uh, I'm still not a huge fan of live as a whole. Uh, I think the concept, uh, there's, there's a reason they don't have any, you know, real TV deals outside of CW. There's some, uh, there's real reasons. There's no licensing there. I don't think it's a format that a lot of people are really going to buy into if it's on every weekend. I think the idea of kind of passively following live golf uh, or going to the events is probably a lot different. Each event is ran like the waste management where everyone's loud and, and everyone's, you know, shit faced and there's beer everywhere. And I think it's like a very entertaining live event that probably will not translate nearly as well to the broadcast. Uh, we see some of it every time we watch some of the team matches, some of the match plays and, and whatnot we see during some of the in-season tournaments for the PGA. And they just don't have the same feel and competitive appeal that uh, one guy going up against a field will. In my, and, and that's in my opinion. And knowing that every week it could be a different person coming out and pulling off uh, a big win or a major win uh, versus the Live Golf. You have the same roster of, what is it, 40 people? every single week so yep it's like i like my team sports separate from my individual contributor sports and in my opinion golf is better when it's individual contributors uh going up against some of the best golfers in the world when you're able to be carried by a team of uh four people uh you don't even have to come out and play your best golf you just have to play you know, everyone has to average slightly better than the other teams. So it's, I don't know. I, I'm still not feeling it. I don't know what the future is going to look like between the two of them. I think this may be something where, you know, maybe the PGA adopts part of the live philosophy in how they manage some of their tournaments and they kind of go maybe in that direction. I don't see 10 years, 15 years from now, we're, we're still having a conversation about live golf. I don't, I mean, I think Greg Norman's already on his way out if he isn't already. Um, yeah. I think, you know, Rom is, is you know, a, a great addition to that team. He's going to bring in a lot of talent. But what happens when he goes in and he just scorches everybody uh, for two years, three years straight, and his team never loses and, and whatever? It's going to become boring to watch pretty quickly, uh, at least now. Uh, week in and week out, anybody from the field can emerge as somebody who can compete against him. Um, but let's say he comes out and he has a, a good team behind him and they just never lose. It's going to get really boring really quickly. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know quite what I, I, I think of the long-term aspect, uh, but I don't feel that live golf is an overall threat to the PGA, right? I mean, the PGA is still going to be, you know, people are going to come up through, uh, you know, some of the lower um, extensions of the PGA, the Corn Ferry Tour, and they're still going to come out and try to compete on the, the PGA platform when you have an entire league uh, made up of, you know, 40 to 60 golfers and yeah. the normal field for any PGA event is in the hundreds. That's, you know, you're excluding a lot of folks and there's just not enough room in a tournament on a weekend for 
that kind of, I mean, how many teams can you cram into a weekend? I mean, we've all played in golf tournaments where uh, a round of golf gets dragged out for five, six hours because the course is too too bogged down. So it's not like they're going to expand that, you know, by any major stretch. They may add maybe four more teams or some nice round number to keep it even, but it's not going to be the same level of competition that you get uh on a thursday at the start of a of any pga event so again i don't think it's something that has the legs to really compete long term i do think it's going to kind of shake things up and make the pga rethink the way it approaches some of its tournaments the way it approaches maybe some of the way uh it looks at you know some of the events it does throughout the year but Again, I don't think this is at this point. They're kind of hemorrhaging money. I don't see them bringing in enough money to 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 validate the billions of dollars they're spending without any sort of TV. I mean, I I unless they are raking money in at these events, which I can't imagine they're doing, they're hemorrhaging money. Now it's yeah Saudi money, and they have a bottomless pit of it. It's how much they want to continue to invest to try and upset the apple cart that probably is too big to fail. Um. So it'll be interesting to see, but I don't I don't imagine Live Golf is gonna come in and topple the PGA. It's you got a bunch of uh Brads and Chads rooting on Live Golf because they want to get shit faced and and scream at golfers during the uh during their watching over the weekends. But again, if it doesn't translate to T V deals and broader audiences, uh there's really no money in it. So like how much damage can it do without all of that? Uh in terms of that TGL, I think that was a way of just Cramming in a couple money making games during like the off season or when the weather's shitty, uh, lets people cram into a smaller space without having to uh, worry about walking the full length of a field. I think that might be maybe an attempt at stealing some of the lunch money from something like Live Golf, allow people to get rowdy, let them get loud. But yeah, I don't know if I'm feeling the virtual golf thing. Yeah, I just I really struggle with it. Like I I want to. I've I've read so much about golf since like just like starting to play it and trying to become a fan and 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 I do think it you know to I, I do think to to take a a quote from Arnold Palmer it is one of the the best games right yeah. like it it can be very frustrating it can be very rewarding something I just don't understand is that like live in the PGA are like two eagles that have their talons like and like clenched on each other and they're going in a circle towards the ground waiting for the other one to blink. And I think one of the best things Rory said in his comments was that like the average fan does not care what the, what the golfer makes hundred percent that we don't. And they can't really want to see someone go to Amen corner on Augusta. And we want to see an insane finish. We want to yeah. see you like tiger 179 yards from the pin and you take an unorthodox club and smack it 177. That's what we want to see. That's what yeah. we care about. Like if golf hasn't paid their players, like this is going to fix it. Right we think but at the same time it's just sort of like golf is in need of a reckoning that i guess we didn't think was coming and now it's here and we're still not very sure like what the what the end result is going to be i can't wait for full swing season two Hmm. because i think full swing just like drive to survive gave us a behind the scenes look like if you go back and watch season one like they vilified the fuck out of lee polter um Dustin Johnson, like about the, all his live stuff, and Dustin Johnson was very was very succinct. He was like, "If I if I could tell you, you could do the same job, work less hours, and I'll pay you three times, like you wouldn't take it." Like 
he was very pragmatic about it. And Brooks Kepka gave actually one of the best responses. Um, and he was quoted in Shipnook's book. He said, um, when I got the live off or I called my mom, she cried, I cried. I grew up as like a, a, a country bumpkin kid from like Mississippi. Like this is life-changing money. He's not a country club kid. And I think that's what Liv is doing great. That the PGA Tour is scrambling. They can't figure it out because they think they can muscle their way out of this. And it's just not the case. American fans are going to get tired of this. If there was a NASCAR and a super high-powered rich people NASCAR, we wouldn't watch NASCAR. The league would die. Both of them would die. We wouldn't care about it. It's the reason why we don't give a fuck about the UFL, XFL, CFL, TFL, ABCD, EFG, FL. Yeah. We don't. We care about a league that for all of its quips, right, like the NFL, like it owns a day of the week. It puts a pretty good product out and it gives us controversy and it keeps us just like professional wrestling. It keeps us there every week. And we're like, oh, that's bullshit. I wouldn't have called that against the Lions. There's no way that, oh man, the NFL. And like, we just keep talking about it and it always stays in the front of our mind. Golf is running the risk of us not talking about it anymore. Sands getting that Formula One style treatment. And I, I just feel like, that's terrible. I, I read this book recently called Tales from the Q School, which I didn't know until this year, literally about <laughs> well, last year, actually. So this is two weeks ago now. Um, I didn't know that golfers who are not in the top 125 money list in the world had to go through a three-part qualification school in order to make the PGA Tour. And I didn't know that even if you made the PGA Tour and you didn't maintain the top 125, or now I think it's top 150 on the money list, you go back to the PGA Q school. And there are people who have story careers who can't make it because they play bad golf for whatever reason or they or their putter goes cold and they have to go back and these guys flame out in the Q school. And that's it. They just can't go to the PGA Tour for a year. Imagine making it to the professional leagues in the, in the NFL and then, oh, you missed, you missed that tackle. Guess what? You got to go back to the NCAA. Like it's, it's so wild to me that like, the PGA Tour has this whole ecosystem for folks to grind and work it out. And if you don't make it, you don't make the nationwide tour or the FedEx Cup, and you don't make it in the standings, like you just go back to Q school. Like, Liv must have looked at that and been like, this is the first place we're targeting. No Q school. We don't care. You're going to play in 18 countries around the world. And uh, by the way, you're going to get paid handsomely to do so. Q school? Fuck that shit. We're not sending you back there. Like the PGA, I understand why they did it, but they have lost so many of these small battles. And it makes me wonder, like, I think Jay Monahan has done a great job to grow the game. But I think as far as sports commissioners, just like Rob Manfred, his seat is the hottest right now. Like, is he going to negotiate a settlement with the, with the Saudis? Is he going to do a merger? Like, who knows? But like, bro, this is it for you. You, you are not going to grow the game of golf anymore and you're going to do it right now. So like, you should not worry about legacy. You should probably worry about saving the sport. And I'm just not sure that everyone's doing that because if you have to have guys like Rory come out and say things like this, and Rom's now the voice of reason to go to live, dude, like we are in a, we're in a sad state of affairs and Augusta is not till what, April, August? It's like forever and a day away. There's so much seismic change that could happen in golf from then until now. Yeah, I'm trying to look to see how many each year are are given a PGA card. I know at the end of the each at the end of each year the top twenty 
top 125 mm-hmm. are given their cards for the following right. year. But what I don't right. know is how many golfers are on the tour at any given time. Folks from 25 to 150 are generally allowed to play in like the secondary, like whether it's a nationwide or whatever the, the FedEx Cup tour is this year, where they have to, to make, they have to, there's usually a money line cutoff that they have to make. Yeah. I did not know that. Um, and I'm just reading these heartbreaking stories of guys shooting 67 and because they had a bad day, like they don't make it. Yeah, like, but that, I mean, that's like, got to set you up, like, though, for, I mean, you didn't get there just by that one day, though, right? Like you are. No, it's, 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 it's three rounds, and each round is three days of golf. So, like, oh, and it's, it's is, at courses like all the way across America. It's insane. This is, this is why. <clears throat> what is, what's your guess on how many PGA professionals are out there? Like less than a thousand. Twenty nine thousand. Oh, <laughs> and all it, super off. And all it takes for you to get your PGA Tour card. I mean, there's a couple things, but one of the one of the things is to win three tournaments on the Corn Ferry Tour, and that'll give you your PGA card for like the entry into you know right. try to so, compete. So Corn Ferry is is a new nationwide, but like you still have to win three tournaments outright. Like if you get a Masters, like if you, if if you get a Masters or a Majors win, like you get an exemption. But that exemption is only good for a few yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, no, but that's the, uh, I'm talking about just being able to play in a traditional, so the Corn Ferry Tour is like the minor leagues for the PGA Tour. Mm-hmm. And all it takes yeah. is any one of these 29,000 people to win three, to, I mean, you got to qualify for the Corn Ferry Tour, which has its own set of, of stipulations. But once you're on that tour uh, and you win three tournaments, you get your card punched for that season, uh, the following season for the uh, the PGA Tour. So you can actually play in PGA Tour events. I think the 125 players uh, is to help cut down on the field. Otherwise, the length of play, uh, they like they have to figure out where to cut it off somewhere, and that seems like the most logical way to do it. Otherwise, like what would you do if you have a thousand people in the field for a golf tournament? You got to start that bitch on like Tuesday and let yep. all the bottom <laughs> players the play their tournament Tuesday through uh thursday morning and then thursday through sunday you let the big kids play so that's tough right it sucks for the folks who i mean get demoted i guess there's no other way to look at it but i think that's the only way to really regulate who has it and this actually acts as kind of a little bit of an eye-opener for uh the difference between live golf and the pga so a tour professional right a pga professional can be a club member who's a certified coach at a country club, but it also gives them the ability to compete in PGA events at the lower levels and eventually earn their card. So that's 29,000 people to compare to the six person roster of live golf. Like in that 29,000 people, you are encompassing the best golfers in the entire world. You have to like, that's too large of a, of a pool, even though some of them may not be discovered yet. Some of them, Maybe working in a pro shop, just waiting for their chance to get out to get out and play. But um, I did not know. It was, I knew it was a lot. I knew it was a, a shit ton because there are other. I think there are other tournaments too, even beyond the Corn Ferry Tour. Fairy. I mean, look at all the college athletes that are out playing all yes, the time that's too. The so like part, right? Like with them rolling the golf ball back, like and the youngsters hitting it as far as they are. Like golf, golf's at a massive fucking crossroads right now, and I thought. I, I think golf thought it had years before it it came to this kind of reckoning moment, and they're just trying to go strength on strength here. But like again, it's two eagles, 
talons interlocked, screeching yeah. towards the ground. Yeah. Like, let go before I do, or yeah. we'll both die. I mean, I, I think, that like, I, in my opinion, I think it's too big of a sport. I mean, more people are playing golf now uh, at a mainstream level than I can ever remember, right? Like, my eight-year-old son and his cousin, uh, who's also eight, are talking about playing golf. Like, it is such a such a big thing now that, like, I think it's, the audience is there no matter what. I mean, golf is never going to leave or go anywhere, even if they roll the ball back. I mean... Golf was popular when guys are driving the ball 250, 260. It's even more popular now, uh, and the average golfer is still only driving it like 280, 290. So rolling the ball back for the tournament is going to help without, you know, they don't have to reshape these courses every single year to try and cut down on on the Kepkas and the Dustin Johnsons and the DeChambos. Uh, you know, Tiger sort of spearheaded a lot of this, and it's just gotten kind of more aggressive sense as golfers take a more athletic approach to the game versus before where it was more of like a leisurely sport and a skill now it's a strength skill combo that uh if you have those two things you know it's really hard to compete outside of that so i don't think anything's going anywhere i think they're all going to be fine um i think it's a little bit of a hubbub you know that may ultimately change the way we see some events down the road but you know, I'd say it's too big to fail, but I do. I think the PGA tournament's just too big to fail. They have too much of a foundation. They have the whole blue, you know, that basically uh, an endless pool of people to pull from uh, in terms of talent. And every year it's re it's refilling with all the college athletes that are graduating and becoming eligible for professional sports. So I don't think it's going anywhere. Live Golf is going to make a little bit of a splash, may change some things. We'll look back and say, oh, you know, thanks to Live Golf, we now have these things. But I don't think it's it's something the PGA Tour is going to get, you know, have to worry about being toppled over. I don't think that you've completely uh, stopped me from being a five-alarm fire and worried about uh, the state of my beloved golf sport. But uh, I, I think you have a lot of valid points there. I, I think that you know, the last thing I'll say about this is that, like, uh, again, there was a division in golf before where they wanted to break away from the PGA Tour. And I think the only thing that stopped them was you had guys like Arnold Palmer who were like, we don't do this, right? Yeah. The same way that they're, the PGA is relying on guys like Rory and Tiger to keep the sport. But I think now, like you mentioned, like the stuff with like the uh, the TV deals and, and the level of competition, like master's exemptions might, you know, might be the only thing that don't allow Liv to like really get going. As, as a fire. It might kind of snuff the oxygen out. But yeah, we, we should look back on this and say, yeah, the PGA Tour learned some hard lessons and they, they, they figured it out. So yep. uh, I'll be interested to see. But if we, if we, I mean, I was telling someone today about this, like if we are one Hideki Matsuyama or one Colin Morikawa away from, from making the jump, yep. I struggle to see. Or like, a, like, I know Victor Hovland like came out and said like, yeah, the live money was there, but like money's not it. Rory saying the money's not it, but everyone was saying the money was not it. And then one by one, they all go. I mean this in the best way possible. Everybody has a number. Depending on their circumstances, how long they've been in, you know, what things that, that they want to accomplish. And Rom made a swing for the for the green. Like he drove the green. Like he like to take a a, a tired golf golf cliche, like he he'd already won a masters. Mm. He'd already won other majors, and then they were going to give him three hundred million dollars, up to five hundred million, and 
Rory comes out and says like we're gonna have to rewrite the rules so he's not so we to, he's at the Ryder Cup so we can defend it like that that guy fucking hit on seventeen and got a three and the dealer busted that's what happened like we just we just witnessed this so like golf needs to be really careful about like how big for its britches it wants to get over the next couple of years because this this we're not we're not over yet this we're we're still really finicky so yep that's that'll that'll probably do it. Uh, for this episode of Stats Don't Matter, uh, an hour and 16 coming to you in the ears. By the time you hear this, we'll be deep into week 18. Uh, um, Tim, I'm just going to boldly say it. I'm going to double down. I'm going to win the picks. And I'm going to win the CFP pick as well. I'm going <laughs> to do both of them. B-O-A-F, both, as Shannon Sharp would say. Both of them. All right, you, uh, get, you get both of them. I'm, I'm, I'm going to up the... Uh... bullshit. I'm going to up the quality of this bottle. I'm sending if you get them both. <laughs> and if I lose both, I'm going to downgrade the quality. I just want to be fair. <laughs> fair. That's fair. That's fair. All right, everybody. Like, what is this military special bullshit? <laughs> yeah. Why is it clear and in a handwritten label? I don't understand what's going on here. <laughs> Why does it smell all vinegary? <laughs> I'll take some, I'll take some, uh, some wedding cake moonshine. Get your hands on some of that. That's... It's good stuff. <laughs> Made in a footlocker. <laughs> yep. I, I could find it. I, I promise you I could find it. Nice. All right, everybody. Thanks again. It's been real. Happy New Year's. Peace.